And the joy of Jesus is always with us when we do what? Ahava, when we love. I don't know whether you've ever heard the perhaps apocryphal story about an actor who was playing the part of Jesus in the Ozarks uh, Passion Play down in Eureka Springs. Supposedly this is true. As he was carrying his cross uh, up the hill, a tourist began heckling him. And finally he, he had all he could take, and so he threw down his cross, walked over to the tourist, and punched him out. Well, needless to say, after this was over, his director told him, uh, I know the guy was a pest, uh, but I can't condone what you've been doing. And besides, you're playing the part of Jesus, and Jesus never punched people out. Jesus never retaliated, so don't ever do that kind of nonsense again. Well, the guy promised that he wouldn't do it, but the next day the heckler was back. And he was worse than he was the very first day. And finally the actor just exploded one more time, went over, threw down his cross, and punched this guy out again. And the director said, that's it, I, I've got to fire you. I, I just got to fire you. I mean, we just can't have you behaving that way, particularly when you're playing the part of Jesus. Well, the actor kind of got down on his knees and started begging. He said, please, you've got to give me one more chance, one more chance. I really need this job and I can handle it if it happens again. And so the director said, okay, I'll give you one more chance. Well, the next day, sure enough, the heckler was back again. And you could see in this performance that this actor was trying hard to control himself, but it was kind of getting the best of him. He was clenching his fists and he was grinding his teeth. And finally he stopped and he turned and he looked at the heckler and said, I'll meet you after the resurrection. <laughs> now, this is somewhat of a questionable story, but I, I understand from people who told it to me that it's actually anchored in a certain amount of reality. Because prior to his death, Jesus actually told his followers something in Mark chapter 14. And what he told his followers was, I'll meet you after the resurrection. But the point here of all of this is this point that sometimes it's hard for people who profess to be Christ followers to behave like Christ followers. We do everything we can. We try to carry our crosses. But if somebody crosses us, our ahava goes out the window. We tend to lose our composure we behave the same way the rest of the world behaves. But the Bible teaches us that we are to be people who exercise agape or ahava in love in all of our relationships. And, and the word I'm going to underline is all, not just the person who sits next to you or the one you could be looking at right now or whatever, but in all of our relationships. Um, you have to listen to these words. In Romans 12:18. let me give you a few extra passages. Paul writes in Romans, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Or when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said in chapter 4, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Or whoever the anonymous author of the book of Hebrews was, he said, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be Holy. Now, all of those scriptures all say basically the same thing. Now, it may be difficult, but who would agree with me? Not everybody is easy to love. Would you kind of buy into that? But if it is possible, scripture says, we are to live in peace and harmony 
in agape, in ahava, with as many people as possible. So this morning we're going to look at these three verses that Ed read to you before, where Paul basically says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way, and that's why I called this message the highway, not the highway like a road, but the highway of wisdom. And we're going to start with the importance of love in our lives. He starts by saying again, I want to show you the best way, the highway, if you will, to take care of virtually every situation, and that's the way that you and I love. And then he points out that love is a whole lot more important than five things that most Christ followers really think are important. So let me take you through very quickly through five things that a lot of Christians think are important, but it really isn't. He starts out by saying that love is more important than your spiritual gifts. Now, for people who know anything about spiritual gifts, you're thinking, well, hold it, I thought spiritual gifts were a cool thing and I needed them. But he says, yeah, that's okay, but it's not the most important thing. In fact, Paul said, if I speak in the uh, tongues of men and of angels and I don't have love, I'm like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, let me take you back in Scripture to Pentecost, because on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and he came on his disciples, they had those little flamethrowers on their head. It says that they all began, or the apostles all began to speak in tongues. In other words, they suddenly were able to speak in languages they never studied. The languages, because there were people from all over the world. You read the whole long list from Pontus and Cappadocia and Phrygia and Pamp, all of those tongue-twisting words. But Paul is saying that if God gave him the gift of speaking every known language without ever having to study it, even if I could speak it the angelic language then it would be, I'd be nothing more than a clanging cymbal. Now, at this point, if you're reading your scriptures, you've got to have to say, what's the deal about the clanging cymbal? Now, Jeff would do that. He'd step back and say, let's have a little study about the clanging cymbal here because this is important. Well, what does all of this mean? As Martin Luther would say, what does this mean? Well, back in the first century, um, there was a big gong, you know, a big gong or a cymbal that would hang at the entrance of most pagan temples. And so when people came to worship, they would hit them so they could wake up the pagan gods inside to hear their prayers. Now, I can't imagine that would happen here at Restore, that we put a big gong outside, boom, that way so God can hear our prayers today. Paul is saying, look, if I, even if I could speak in these strange languages, every language, but I don't have love, I'm no better than that big cymbal. I'm no better than that big gong. I'm just making a bunch of noise. Now, the second thing he says is love is more important than knowledge. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom mysteries of knowledge but have not love, I'm nothing. In, in other words, friends, if we know everything there is to know about philosophy or psychology or theology or any other ology you want to study, but we don't have any love then we're really nothing. Now, it's always amazed me, it amazes me more today, what little news I actually watch is how many people say our society is all screwed up, the whole world is screwed up, but if we just had a little bit more knowledge, we got to follow the science uh, and and because um, we're killing and abusing people. We need more education, they keep saying. We need to get everybody educated, and then we won't have any of this world's problems. Now, i give you another Greek word for that. Hogwash. 
<laughs> literal translation. Now, I'm not opposed to education. I spent 18 years as a, a, a teacher. But I want you to listen to what Paul says about education in 1 Corinthians 8.1. He says, knowledge does what? It puffs up. It puffs up. But love builds up. Now, I don't think we need more knowledge as much as we just need more agape or ahava, the godly kind. Now, here's the third thing. Paul says love is more important than faith. And some of you are probably going to say, what? Love is more important than faith? Well, he doesn't say that faith is not important. He just says love is more important. He said, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have no love, then I'm what? Nothing. Zero. Now, what is your faith? I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning. What is your faith? What do you believe? Do you believe that God is the creator of the world, that Jesus is his only begotten son, and that he came into our world and lived a sinless life, and then he died and was buried, and on the third day he rose again? Do you believe that? Do you believe that right now Jesus is at the right hand of his Father? He's preparing a place for you and I someday. Uh, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is our guide and counselor or comforter? Or as the guys in prison say, is he your resident president? Now, if you believe all of those things, good. I'd go a step further. Great, that's great. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? The Bible teaches that if you believe all the right stuff, but you don't have what? Love, then you are nothing because even faith is of no value unless it's backed up by love. Some of you are familiar with the story of the, um, the Good Samaritan. Guess what? The priest and the Levite in that story had faith. They didn't have any love. They just let that guy die on the side of the road. So that's why Paul says to the Galatians chapter 5, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? Agape. Ahava. I can't even say it anymore. Okay, here's the fourth one. Love is more important than generosity. Now, as a pastor, you know, pastors are, all they ever do is fleece the sheep, right? Um, you know, we all get, we need more money. In fact, I was at a church a number of years ago when I was at the seminary where the pastor took the offering four times because they were counting it after each one. And he said, we're not getting enough. Well, love is more than important than generosity, because Paul says here, if I give what all now, what's the meaning of the word all in Greek? Uh, it's all uh, if I possess to the poor, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Now, he doesn't say well, if I give 10% or if I tithe or if I'm a regular contributor, he doesn't say that. He said, if I give everything. Now, we need to step back and say, okay, what is everything? Now, if you're going to give back everything, I'm going to tell you what you need to start doing. Go home today, empty up your checking account, your retirement funds, sell your house, cash in all of your insurance policies, uh, sit on the corner uh, with nothing but what you're wearing and give it all away to the poor. But, Paul would say, if you do that and you don't have love, guess what? You're nothing. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but are you a generous person? If you are, then answer this question. Then why do you give? Why do you give? 
Do you give because you feel a little bit guilty because you've seen other people walk up there and do something and maybe I should be doing this too? Or do you do it to impress other people? I think I told you early on and we started, there was a man in my church growing up who used to show up once a year, sit in the front when the collection plate came by. He made sure that his hand went way in the air as he put his annual offering in. That's the only time you'd see him in church. Or do you give because, well, as some churches say, if you give a lot, you're going to get a lot. Prosperity gospel. Now, I'm just going to tell you, all that stuff is nonsense. Those are all wrong reasons. If the only reason you give is to receive or benefit, then your love is absent. And giving is empty. Now, here's the fifth one. Love is more important than accomplishments. Paul goes on and says, if I surrender my body to the flames... But have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. Now, that's called martyrdom. Being so faithful and so committed to God that you actually end up dying for your faith. So a good question to ask again is, so how deep is your faith and how deep is your commitment? Are you willing to lay down your life for God if it actually came to that? Now, Paul is saying that even if you do all the things that a Christ follower Ought to do if there is no what? Ahava or love, then it's nothing. See, love is more important than spiritual gifts, more important than knowledge, more important than faith, more important than generosity, and more important than many other things that you might accomplish for the kingdom of God. So if that's all the stuff we got kind of wrong, let's talk about some stuff we do right. Let's take a look at the practice of love in our everyday lives, because you and I have everyday lives. In John 13, 34, it says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's a good commandment for the day. Now, I imagine that would be pretty embarrassing today or a little bit difficult. I told you, before you left today, you had to go and tell everybody that you loved them. You go, say what? (laughs) Can I just kind of nod at him and smile a little bit? (laughs) Yeah, maybe you should learn to do that. See, Jesus says this is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. He just said, oh, by the way, if you think about it, and if they seem lovable enough, you might could love them a little bit. And he never commands us to do anything that he cannot do. And he never commands us to do anything that we cannot do. See, we tend to think that love is something that just happens. See, we fall in love like falling in a ditch. Or we fall out of love like you fall out of a tree. Now, I'm going to show my age and my love for rock music, and I'm going to give you a little quiz. Who said this? Who sang this song? I can't help falling in love with you. Elvis Presley. Okay. Who sang, you've lost that loving feeling? The Righteous Brothers. Who's saying, what's love got to do with it? It's just a second-hand emotion. Tina. Tina Turner. There you go. Who's saying, hello, I love you, won't you tell me your name? The Doors. The doors. There you go. Who's saying, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you, but don't feel bad because two out of threes ain't bad. Meatloaf. Meatloaf. There you go. Now, that's really deep stuff. No Mavericks? Getting there. <laughs> but the Bible teaches us that love is actually something we can control. He commands us to love, which means I can will to love you. 
and you can will to love me as well. So this is not a hopeless situation. We can actually do this. Now, what kind of love is being talked about here? Uh, in Philippians 2, 4, Paul says he wants us to behave and love the way Jesus did. And he said, each of you, and me, each of y'all we see down in Texas, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And if I could paraphrase this, and all the people that live in this one square mile surrounding Restore. See, in other words, love becomes unselfish. It's not just about us. Now, I want to give you a few examples. I mean, I should give you something practical and not just talk about ahava all the time or quote great rock songs. Let's see how, first of all, how this could work in a family. Let's suppose that uh, someone in every family here today would go home and put this into practice, starting with your spouse. You ought to love them first and foremost anyway, uh, even if they're behaving like a jerk. <laughs> no offense, Jeff. <laughs> My wife's looking at me anyway. So, Now, could you see how that could change the atmosphere of your home? I mean, there wouldn't be any arguing. There wouldn't be any bickering because their interests would be as great as your interests. And pretty soon, that might actually find a way of filtering down to the relationship you share with your children, and maybe even with your in-laws, maybe even with your outlaws, and maybe those crazy cousins that you all got that kind of live down in the hills somewhere, just simply because you choose to love them. And guess what? I think if it started with just us here, it could possibly go to the next thing, it begins in the family and spills over into the church family. Jesus said, by this, they will know that you are my disciples. I'm assuming that you're all of disciples. If you have love for one another. In fact, I am very much positive that the way this community will eventually find out that the message of Jesus is true and valid is if we have love, ahava, agape, all that kind of stuff, and compassion, another Greek word, splachnitzomai, feeling it in your guts, which will cause us to ask ourselves some tough questions about people we end up ministering to. I mean, what's it like to hurt so deep inside that nobody knows you're hurting and you don't feel free to tell them that you're hurting? Love conquers that. What's it like being sick and knowing that you're not going to get well and wanting more than anything else just to live? We can love those people. What's it like to be a minority? What's it like to be handicapped? What's it like to be dealing with drug problems and broken families or marital problems? What kind of burdens are people carrying, not just in this room, but outside of this room in our community? And do we care enough? To help them with those burdens. See, that's what it means when Jesus talks about loving one another as he loved us and then taking that out the front door or out the back doors or we can raise the big door, whichever way you want to go and take that out into the community people here. Now, here's the third one. We are to let the love flow. Joel, let the love flow. 
Bellamy Brothers, Brothers, into the workplace. (laughs) I'm I'm now getting down to Jeff's level, or Joel's level with a little country music. Yeah, let the love flow into the workplace. See, we do it when, you know, we uh, show love to people we work with, uh, that Jesus is uh, a Lord, uh, not just with words, but by our example. I mean, some of you may be working in places where you have a kind of a hard boss. Maybe you don't like this boss very much, or you work with somebody uh, who makes fun of the way uh, you live. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Uh, pray for those who persecute you. Romans 12. If your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some to drink. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good or with ahava or agape with good. I'm going to give you an example. I get vo- how many familiar with Voice of the Martyrs? Okay, um, I, I get this as a subscription, and just it, it's stories about guys that are dying for their faith, and guys, men and women and children who are suffering for their faith around the world. And this story struck me. Uh, it's a story about a guy named Doug Nichols. And I'm going to just read it to you this morning. It comes from Voice of the Martyrs. Because I think it illustrates what I've been trying to say for the last few minutes. And this is from the article. It said, Doug Nichols went to India in 1967 to be a missionary. But while he was just starting to study the language, he became infected with tuberculosis and had to be put in a local sanitarium. It was not a very good place to be. It was not very clean and conditions were difficult because there were so many sick people there. But Doug decided to do the best he could in that situation. So he took a bunch of Christian books and tracts and tried to witness to the other patients in the sanitarium. But when he tried to pass out books and tracts, they were rejected. He tried to witness, but he was unable to communicate in their language. But yet here he was, sick, and he'd be there a long time. But it seemed the work that he'd been sent to do would not be done because no one would listen. Because of his TB, every night at about 2 o'clock, he'd wake up with chronic coughing that wouldn't quit. Then one night when he awoke, he noticed across the aisle an old man trying to get out of bed. The man would roll himself up into a little ball and rock back and forth and trying to get up momentum to get up and stand. But he just couldn't. He was too weak. Finally, after several attempts, the old man laid back and wept. The next morning, Doug understood why. He was trying to get up to go to the bathroom and didn't have enough strength to do that. So his bed was a mess and there was a smell in the air. The other patients made fun of him and the nurses who came to clean up his bed weren't kind to him either. Doug said that the old man just laid there and cried. Doug said that next night at about two o'clock, I started coughing again. I looked across the way, and there was the old man trying to get out of bed once more. I really didn't want to do it, but somehow I managed to get up and walked across the aisle, and I helped the old man stand up. But he was too weak to walk, so Doug said, I took him in my arms and carried him like a baby. He was so light that it wasn't a difficult task. I took him into the bathroom, which was nothing more than a dirty hole, and I stood behind him and cradled him in my arms as he took care of himself. Then I carried him back to his bed and laid him down. As I turned to leave, he reached up and grabbed my face, pulled me close and kissed me on the cheek and said, Thank you. 
Doug continues and says, the next morning there were patients waiting when I woke and they asked if they could read some of the books and tracts I'd bought. Others had questions about the God I worshipped and his son who came to die for their sins. Now he goes on and he says in the next couple of weeks that he gave out all of his Christian literature that he brought and many of the doctors and many of the nurses and many of those patients came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now here's this final thing he wrote. He says, now what did I do? I didn't preach a sermon. I couldn't even speak their language. I didn't have a great lesson to teach or wonderful things to offer. All I did was take an old man to the bathroom. And anybody can do that. It reminded me when I finished reading that of a a phrase that someone had shared with me many years ago. Uh, Because pastors are meant to care for people. And I kind of keep this around to remind myself. And this little statement goes this way. They will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that, my friends, that is the more excellent way. That is the high way, the way of Jesus. And may God bless us in our pursuit of Ahabah.